Good morning and happy Father's Day, right? Okay, now those of you who are clapping, you got those jokes, right? I glanced back at my family and they're like, because <laughs> I was the one that always said I will never say those corny jokes or those dad jokes or those funny sayings. Well, we think it's funny, right, dads? But I will admit, I do actually say all those things that I said I would never say. And all the things that were up on that screen, I don't know about you, I completed the sentence, about 90% of them, before the rest of it went up on the screen, and some of you probably did too, right? Hey, this is what it's all about right there. My dad had all those sayings and many more and a few corny jokes. His favorite was the Tarzan joke. What did Tarzan say when he saw the elephants coming over the hill? Here come the elephants, right? What did Tarzan say when he saw the elephants coming over the hill wearing sunglasses? Nothing. He didn't recognize them. That was my dad's joke, right? It's like, Dad, really? He was the guy that if you lost something, you'd say, well, where where was the last place you had it? Well, if I knew Dad, I would find it, right? Or, hey, you make a better door than you do a window. Could you please move, right? Uh, Did you ever play, did your dads ever go, hey, you know how to play 52-card pickup? Anybody ever have that with their dad? Yeah. And of course, it was that statement, hey, are you hardly working or working hard, right? Is that too? They have all these sayings. Where did these dads come? They pass them down. I can only hope that all these sayings be passed on to my sons as well. (laughs) That's right. But dad didn't just have the corny sayings. He had some very wise sayings as well. And, uh, and I've shared this story with this church many times about one thing that my dad said that really stuck, and I'll repeat it um, for, for you and maybe if you're visiting today. We're glad you're here. You, you're the one that gets to hear this today for the first time. But I think it was Valentine's Day, February 14th, I think 2014. My mom was in the hospital. They thought she'd have a possible stroke. She was in an intensive care unit, and my dad is going through cancer treatments and very weak, and we went up to go see mom and and I wheeled Dad into the room, and he got out of his chair. With all of his strength and mind, he went over to my mom and to her bed and leaned over and gave her a kiss and then stepped back and looked at me and said, that was better than thinking about it. And I thought, man, that was so good. i got to write that one down. I was like, Dad, where did you come up with this? You know, you have the corny jokes, but you also had that wisdom and, and the things that really mattered at times. And, um, and I just thought about that. It's like, yeah. Doing it is so much better than thinking about it, right? And, and I wondered then, I wondered if, like, I wonder if he got that out of God's word somewhere. I don't know. Open up your Bibles with me to the book of James, James chapter 1. We're going through the James, book of James this summer. We have different people that are going to be sharing at times. Uh, Brian was up here last week, and uh, he'll come back, and, and Brian will share again in August. Uh, at another time, and I've got another guest speaker coming in a few weeks. You're going to love him. We've, we are also going to bring in some of our missionaries, people we support, and uh, they're going to uh, share from God's Word from the book of James as well, and I'm looking forward to them when they share. But in the book of James, when I'm, when I'm looking at this, the, the very first uh, chapter has, has so much, but in verse 19, I'm wondering, Dad, did you, did you get that saying from this part of the book of James? I don't know. You can judge that for yourself towards the end of the sermon. But let's start in verse 19. Verse 19 says, Understand this, my, my brothers and sisters. You must be quick to listen, slow to speak. I'm sorry, slow to speak and slow to get angry. 
When I first read that verse, of course, in the back of my mind, I'm hearing my dad saying, you've got two ears and one mouth. Know which one to use, right? And when I think about that, I'm thinking about what James is saying here. Be quick to listen with these two things. Slow to speak with this one thing. Then slow to get angry from what's going to come out of us all, right? But we're living in a culture today. We're living in a world today where we are quick to speak. We are quick to post. We are quick to tweet. We are quick to just letting everything and anything come out of our mouths. It seems that there's not only been a shortage of lumber and gas and meat, but a shortage of mouth filters for some of us. And even though we were mandated to wear a mask, it didn't keep us from saying things that we wanted to say. It's, it's amazing. You know, I, I feel that we've lost the ability to filter our mouths. And as a result of that, we are quick to judge. We are quick to, to, to think it through. And then Maybe not think it through, but think about something, and then boom, it just comes right out. It's like, hey, I don't care. I, just, I want to say what I want to say. And, and the crazy thing is, James is warning us here that when we are slow to listen... When we're quick to speak and just let it fly, there's a danger of something that's going to sort of rise up. It's called anger. You know, for some reason, we think we can just get away with saying whatever we want to say and doing what we want to do and nothing's going to happen. But James says, no, actually, when you start mouthing off and you're not listening, you're going to produce something within you and it's going to be some anger. It's because you're very self-centered, not others-centered. Swift to hear. That's being other-centered. That's, that's something that I struggle with. Because I can admit, I can be self-centered at times. I'll be, I'll be with a group of people. We're talking. They'll share a story. And in the back of my mind, it's like, oh, I got a story just like that. Hey, listen to my story. And it's just sort of being self-centered. And I realize that. It's like, oh, other-centered is, that's an awesome story. Tell me more. Hey, tell me about what's going on in your life. That's, that's other-centered. Self-centered is, hey, I got a lot to say. You got to listen to me say it. And it's like... No, no. Quick to listen. Slow to speak. That's being other-centered. And it's been challenging for me. But when I look at this, it's like, well, isn't that what we've sort of looked at as, as a church as a whole, who we are? Love God, love others. The two, you know, Jesus said, I got two incredible great commands. Let me sum this all up. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love one another, right? It's like, love God, love others. Listening to others. Being slow to speak, quick to listen. That's part of the love others part of that phrase, right? But look with me then, continues verses 20 to 21. James says this, human anger does not produce God's desires. So get rid of all that filth and evil in your lives and humbly accept the word God has planted in your hearts for it has the power to save your souls. When we are self-centered, sort of demanding our ways, we allow conflict to come into our life and peace is no longer there because there's more conflict now because the flesh produces that anger. And God says, I want right living. But because of our choices, it's not so much righteous living or godly living, it's selfish choices, right? And then we become almost... Judge-like, We've almost become our own God. When I start judging somebody, it's like, well, and then I say something, it's like, I'm taking the role of God. And God says, that's my role, not yours. And I have to realize, I guess what, I'm, I'm not in charge. So what am I supposed to do with this, God? Well, God says, recognize, first of all, that you have maybe a self-centered attitude. And, and I don't like it. See, I, God sees our hearts 
and the, the filth in our hearts sometimes. And we, I think we need to get a clear picture on that one. Is that it's like we think we can get away with anything. It's like, no, God sees it. God knows what's going on in here. And he doesn't like it. He calls it filth. He says, get rid of that filth. That, see that, that anger that swells up inside, it's dirty, it's trashy. It's, the stuff that's going on, that self-centeredness, it's, it's like a dirty diaper that's been sitting in the back of your car in 90 degree weather for a couple of days back. You know what I'm saying? Some of you are like, ugh. Okay, now we know maybe how God sees it. It's probably much worse than that, right? But an author describes that filth from this verse right here. He says this. That evil or sin is the devil's vomit, the soul's excretion, and the garbage of wickedness. Wow. Bottom line, it's nasty. And the thing is, we carry it around with us. You might catch me on Tuesday morning grabbing two bags of garbage, hauling it out to the curve to set it out, out there, you know. And when I've got my arms full of that garbage, guess what I can't do? I can't go get the mail. I can't pick up any flowers if I wanted to pick flowers, okay? But my point is, my hands are full of trash. When my hands are full of trash, I'm not able to open and receive what is good. I'm not able to pick up what is good. And basically, James is saying, you need to get rid of it. You need to let go of the junk in your life, the filth, the trash, the garbage, and get rid of it. Let me give you maybe another idea of, of how this works. Picture a room in your house. And, and it's the room that's your clutter room. It might be your kid's bedroom. It might be your room. I don't know. But when you look around your house, the more you accumulate and accumulate, and it starts to build up, all of a sudden it's so cluttered, it's like you can't even move around your house. And you get to the point like, I've become a hoarder. I've, I've hoarded all these things, and I can't even move. What do I need to do? And it's like, you need to clean up. Maybe some of it needs to be stored away. Some of it needs to be thrown away. Some of it is broken. It just needs to be trashed. Some of it just just need to give it away. But here's the thing. It is harder to do if you let it build up. Parents, this is probably why we as parents say, hey, you need to pick up stuff in your room on a daily basis. Why do we say that? Because we understand that if you do a daily chore, it's easier to do the next day. But if you let it build up, oh, that chore is very gruesome and harder, more so down the road. It takes a lot of work. I grew up on a farm, and I discovered that phrase, daily chore, on the farm. We had to clean out the hog pens on a daily basis. Shovel scrape, let's go. We're going to scrape the pens. We're going to shovel it out every single day, except Sunday, because it was church. Um, Monday, though, twice as much work. So during the week, if I was like, I'm not going to do my chores, thinking I'm getting away with taking a day off and being lazy, or I'm just going to take it easy, guess what that means? That means tomorrow's going to be twice as hard. So why do I do this daily? One, getting a routine. Two, it's a discipline. But three, because if I don't, it's going to be so much harder the next day or the next time I have to face that mess, right? Let me share this with you spiritually because I see the same thing happening in our lives spiritually. When we get, make a bad choice in our life and we don't deal with it right away with God, it builds up, builds up, builds up until it's such a huge problem. We don't even know how to go to God with it anymore. We basically walk away from God because we don't want to face God anymore with how big of a mess we have in our lives. Even looking back over this past year, I was thinking about how many uh, people maybe um, have cha- been challenged with even just coming back to church. You get out of routine of doing something 
it's so hard to get it going again. Whether that's reading your Bible, spending time in prayer, whatever it may be, as soon as you like, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to do that today, I'm not going to do it tomorrow, how hard is it to get back into doing it again? James is saying you need to get rid of it and let's get rid of it now. Not tomorrow, not tonight, let's take care of this right now. And sometimes it's actually things that aren't actually evil or sinful in our lives. We can just be, I like to sleep in, I like a little bit more entertainment, um, uh, I, I just want some days off, or I'm overly busy. We put so much into our schedules that we've taken out certain things and certain people and God gets neglected because of all this clutter and all these other things in our lives. So it's not just allowing evil to invade and clutter our lives, but it's even lacking the discipline to prioritize the righteous things in our lives. James goes on to say, look at verse 21, a little bit deeper here. He says that get rid of all that filth and evil in our lives. Humbly accept the word God has planted in your hearts, for it has the power to save your souls. Here's the thing. We don't have room for what can save our soul if it's filled with evil. So we get rid of it. We, we, we confess it, we bag it, we tag it, and we just get rid of it, right? And now you have room for the Word of God that's been planted in your souls. I think about this. When I would come in from the barn after cleaning those hog pens, my clothes smelled pretty bad. Matter of fact, I had stuff splattered all over me, typically. So here's the thing. So I'm going to get ready to go to school. What do I do? Go into my closet, pull out my, uh, my other pants, and I just pull them on right over top of my, my pants that I'm wearing out to the barn, right? That's what we do, right, Phil? Yeah, yeah. At least it's like, no way. Okay, now what you do is you take off the stinky, smelly clothes, and then you put on the new. And again, this is what James is saying here is you've got to take off the old stuff before you put on the new. You want to put on God's word? That's fine. But you need to get rid of the evil before you put in God's word. When you're wearing those same stinky clothes of this world, bringing in God's word and just laying it on top of it doesn't help so much. You've got to get rid of the mess. Get rid of the filth. Get rid of the evil. Humbly accept the word that God's planted in your heart is what it says. Where should God's word be? I underlined it in there for you. It's planted. Think about this. To plant is to dig. It's to move the dirt. It's to create a hole. It's then to, to uh, fill it with a seed. That's what it means to plant. Where should God's word be planted? It's going to be planted in our heart. You think about this. If I'm going to plant something, I've got to work the ground. I've got a toilet. I've got a disc. I've got to plow it. I've got to work that ground real good and then create that hole to put it in. But here's the thing. If my heart is hard, how will God's word ever get in? How will it ever be planted? I can't just go out into a field that's never been worked in its life with a bag of seed and just throw it on top and say, oh, let's watch it grow. It's not going to grow. It'll never penetrate to service. It has to be worked. If the seed remains in the bag or the seed remains in the planter, it'll never grow. The seed has to leave the planter, the planter's hands, and be inserted into the soil that's been worked. That's the best way to plant and expect a harvest. What if farmers didn't work the soil? I mean, what if they didn't disc and, and plow, 
create that loose soil and make holes. If they never penetrated the ground, there would never be life, new life, right? Here's the thing. If we don't let God disturb our soil, our soul, if we don't allow him to plow and disc into our hearts, don't expect the seed to be planted and to grow. It won't change you unless it's planted in you. A lot of us think God's word will change us without ever it being planted. That's not how it works. Once it's planted, it has the power. Did you see in scripture? It has the power to save us, to empower us, to encourage us. That's what God's word does. Charles Spurgeon said this, We are not saved by working, but by receiving. Not by what we give to God, but by what God gives to us and we receive from him. Basically, the word of God carries the power of God. It won't change you if it's not planted in you. It doesn't matter if you carry your Bible with you. It needs to be in you. Have you planted it in there? James wants to know. He continues on. Look at verse 22, 23 says, But don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says. Otherwise, you're only fooling yourselves. If you listen to the word and don't obey it, it's like glancing at your face in the mirror. You see yourself. You walk away. And you forget what you look like. He's saying, don't just listen to it. Do it. Be a doer of God's word. Along with that listening, right? And I remember uh, coaching flag football. And um, let me put a picture of one of the teams I coached. This group of boys right here is a fun team. Actually, there's, there's a coach in there that's in this room. And there are some players that are uh, in this room. And here's the thing. When I coach, and, and I can't remember this exact team, but when I coach, I had a set of plays. A couple sheets. Laminated. Color-coded. I was the Bill Belichick of flag football, Wasian, okay? I was like, I'm going to call these plays. These kids are going to run them. And I would, like, diagram it. And, you know, here's what, here's what I really needed to do with these kids. Just have a blank sheet, have an X, a circle, have a line, squiggly lines everywhere. Ready, go. Because that's what they did, okay? Because the laminated, the great plays never worked. They just ran the ball and, and high-fived each other and giggled and laughed and dropped the ball on the ground and ran the other way. And it's like... Uh, you guys didn't listen. You were good doers. You were doing the game of football, running all over the place, but you didn't listen. Let me give you a second team. Now imagine this team. This team has been coached up. They're much older. And they've practiced every day and disciplined themselves. And it's game day and they're out on the field. And the coach calls to play from the sidelines. Quarterback gets to play. Huddles up his team on the field. He looks at him and he calls the play. 42 slot red, 42 slot red. Ready, break. And they go up to the line. They get up in the line, they get in their stance, and they're all in their stance and they're ready to go. And then they just sit there and they never move. The coach is on the sideline going, run the play, run the play. The opponent is sitting across going, aren't they going to run the play? They're a really good team. They're going to beat us, but they're not running the play. We might actually win. And the people in the stands, they're just looking down and going, how come they're not doing anything? I mean, they're supposed to be good, but they're not doing anything. Now that team, they were good listeners, but they didn't do anything. 
You got one team that did a lot of stuff, didn't listen. You got another team that listened, but didn't really do anything. And God says, both of you could have been successful, but you're not. Because here's why. You need to listen and do. You need to listen and do. Because that's what God desires. He wants hearers and doers. And I imagine God looks at us sometimes like we're that second football team. He's like, I gave you the play. Go run it. And then we go there and we just stand around. And God's like, well, how come you're not running the play? I gave you the play. Run it. And we're like, no, we like how we look. Just right here, just like this. And our opponent, the devil, looks at us and is like, We've, I'm defeated. But these doing anything. These Christians are just, they're not moving. I might actually win. And then the rest of the world looks at us Christians and they're like, I thought you guys were supposed to be good. But you're not doing anything. God says, I want you to be listeners and doers. He wants us to gather to worship like we are right here, right now. But then we gather to worship. We listen. We read. We sing. But then we break the huddle and we leave this place. And as we leave this place of worship, we do it. We are doers of the word when we leave this place. Every week when we gather to sing, to pray, to, to open God's word, to hear, you always hear me at the end of the sermon say what? Go be the church. What am I telling you, basically? Go be doers. Take what God has given us, then let's go live it out. You know, it was common in the ancient world for people when they had a, somebody that they listened to, they would listen to that teacher and then they would follow and do whatever that teacher said. Well, that was Jesus. Jesus is, is a great teacher, but he's also the son of God. And we don't just listen to Jesus, but we follow him. We do what he says. And in Matthew chapter 7, Jesus just finished up the Sermon on the Mount. Great teaching. Just read through all these chapters. Oh, great teaching, great teaching. But when he got done, he said, let me conclude this um, with a story of two men. One guy built a house on sand. Another guy built a house on stone. Now, the foolish man who built his house on sand was foolish because when the storms came and washed out his foundation, the house crumbled. Now, this man who built his house on the rock, he's pretty wise. He's wise because it was a strong foundation. When the storms came, it never collapsed. Both, both people heard the word, but one person obeyed the word and built their foundation. That's sort of how he wrapped up all this teaching from the Sermon on the Mount. Church, listen, 16 years ago, I resigned at a church from being a youth pastor. And it was not too long after that, that a gentleman came up to me and said, hey, do you ever want to plant a church, start a new church? And, and it did not take long for me to look at him and say, nope. I mean, it just rolled right out. No, no thanks. Part of the reason was due to my frustration with the church. I felt the church had become a place where people gathered to be entertained. I felt like the only reason people came in is because they wanted a little mini concert from the worship team. And I felt the only reason they maybe they came is because they wanted to hear a polished message from the motivational pastor up front. Or maybe it was just, you know, check off the list, went to church. And then I was frustrated with the church because I felt like that's where we were going as a nation. It's like, if that's what church is about, I don't want to go and I don't want to start a church. No, thank you. It's like a restaurant, you know, that says, hey, come on in. I'm going to feed you. I'm going to make you feel good. Are you done? Good. Now go out so the next group can come in. All right. Thank you. And I don't want to be that kind of church. He asked me to pray about it. Well, we prayed about it. Six months later, True North was born. I'm very thankful that we prayed about it. 
Because my original heart attitude was, don't want to touch this. But God said, I got a different plan. And here we are. And that's why this church, as of today, has always been about love God, love others, go be the church. We want to worship God with everything we got on Sunday. But then the rest of the week, let's go be the church. Let's go live it out. That's where we started. And I was thinking about this. What did God intend, right? When this church service is over, listen, listen very carefully. Church isn't done. Church is just beginning. When you leave these, this place and you walk through these doors, the service might be over. But the church service in your heart and your life continues. When you walk out those sanctuary doors, the play has been called. Now it's time for us to go put that play into action. To go live out what God's called us to do. Because see, God's word penetrates our minds and our souls and it motivates our hearts into action. James compared this basically to looking in the mirror. When you look in that scripture, he said a man looks in the mirror, he checks to make sure it's all good, but James says he walks away and then he wonders, hey, wait a minute, was my hair in place? Wait, I, I thought I had something on my face. I went in the mirror and looked, and I can't even remember. Why did, I, why did I go to that mirror in the first place? You know. And James is like, that's like somebody who picks up God's word and, 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 and hears it, but doesn't do it. You wasted your time. See, if you went into the bathroom right now to go check the mirror, then you walk out and you're like, why did I even go in there? You just wasted a couple minutes of your life because you don't even remember why you went there, right? James is saying, it's the same way. When you listen to God's word and you don't apply it, you're wasting your time. Don't be playing with God. Listen and do it. Examine. He says, look in that mirror, examine. Verse 25 goes on to say this. If you look carefully into the perfect law that sets you free. And if you do what it says and don't forget what you heard, then God will bless you for doing it. If you look carefully, if like you're, you're bending over like, I'm going to look down. It's not one of those casual glances like, what is that? It's these, I'm going to go investigate and go check this out. That's what he's saying. If you look intently into God's word and as you look into his perfect law, by the way, the perfect law sets you spiritually free from bondage and sin, you're going to be blessed. You're going to be blessed. And studying God's word, you've got to not just be in it. It's got to be in you as well. James sort of has a good sense for his audience as he's writing this letter out. And he's sort of thinking, you know, I'm challenging you all. Slow to speak. Quick to listen. I want you to hear God's word. It's been planted in your heart. Let it take seed. Let it grow. But you got to do something with it. But maybe you're not sure what to do. So it's almost like James says, um, so I'm, gonna have, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to throw these out here. I'm going to give you some things to do to put into practice. I'm going to tell you to go be the church. Here's a couple things that you can go do and go and be in the church. Look what he says in verse 26. If you claim to be religious but don't control your tongue, you're fooling yourself. And your religion is worthless. Pure and genuine religion in the sight of God the Father means caring for orphans and widows in their distress and refusing to let the world corrupt you. James comes right out. He's like, hey, are you controlling your tongue? Are you taking care of the needy? Are you refusing to be corrupted by this world? You know what? I'm not going to mess around. I'm going right for the jugular. Because, I mean, let's, let's be real here. The first thing that usually gets us in trouble is our tongues, right? And James is like, hey, are you controlling your tongue? That's a tough one. Swearing, lying, gossiping. A child of God is not known for these things. 
A follower of Jesus Christ, a Christian, tells the truth, guards their mouth from vulgarity and, and swearing. A Christian is not a gossiper. And James says, a doer of God's word controls their tongue. And all of us are like, <laughs> can we talk about something else that's easy to do, James? He's like, no, I'm going right for the jugular on this one. How's your tongue? Oh, I'll get to it later in a couple of chapters. I'm just going to sort of, sort of, you know, kick you in the shins right now, and I'll push you down later. But if, if, if I don't, here's, here's the thing. Listen very carefully. If this is bothering you at all, good. Because you know what it is? God is disking and plowing the soil of your heart right now. And a lot of us would rather not have that done. But when your soil has been moved around, the seeds can be planted. And he says, oh, are you taking care of those in needy? Oh, it's easy. Here's some money. Put it in the blessings box. We'll give it to our missionaries. And James like, that's, that's good. That's, that's okay. But have you gone to their house lately? Have you taken food to somebody that's really needy? Have you, have you helped? Have you walked in their shoes? Go to their house. Help them there. Oh, it's easy. We're the church. Come here. <laughs> We're the ship. We're the cruise liner. I see you're drowning out in the ocean. Just swim here. James like, are you kidding me? Get in the lifeboat. Go get them. They're drowning. We expect, we're the church. People that are hurting should come here. And James like, mm -hmm. yeah, church, go help them. And if they want to come back to you to the ship, that's awesome. But go, go help them. Wow, James, anything else you want to say? Oh, yeah, don't let the world influence you. Don't be corrupted by it. I was reading uh, in, through Jeremiah this past week, and I came across a verse, and I thought, oh, this is a good verse. Let me share it with you. James 15, 19 says, If you return to me, I will restore you so you can continue to serve me. If you speak good words rather than worthless ones, you'll be my spokesperson. Now watch this next part. You must influence them. Do not let them influence you. Good word to us Christians, right? Can that be said of us? Who's influencing us today? Or are we influencing others? Are Christians actively living out God's word and being doers? Church, that's what we were created to do as part of our DNA as Christians. Let me close with this scripture. Worship team, you can come forward. Titus chapter 2, starting at verse 11, says this. Look at this on the screen or turn in your Bibles, either one. It says, for the grace of God has been revealed, bringing salvation to all people. And we are instructed to turn from godless living and sinful pleasures. We should live in this evil world with wisdom and righteousness and devotion to God. While we look forward with hope to that wonderful day when the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ will be revealed. Last verse. He gave his life to free us from every kind of sin. To cleanse us. To make us his very own people. Totally committed to doing good deeds. Another scripture challenge or translation is zealous for good deeds, passionate for good deeds. Church, listen, God loves you. God loves you more than you could ever be loved. His grace has given us what we do not deserve, and that's salvation. And he sent his one and only son, Jesus Christ, just to save you. That's how much he loves you. And Jesus Christ came here to save you, to take that sin, to wipe it out, to cleanse us. But he didn't stop there. He said, I want you to live for me now. But did you see that last part of that verse? He says, I want to cleanse you. I want to, I want to save you. I want to redeem you. I want to cleanse you. I want to make you my people. I want to adopt you into my family. Oh, and by the way, 
And I want you to be totally committed to doing good deeds. Why do we do good deeds? Why do we do the good? Why do we why do we live out the commands? Enough said, right? We are the church. The church was to be obedient, not just in listening, but in doing. You know, when I think about with my, my own sons, I think back, first of all, to my relationship with my father. He, he always, you know, he gave me things to do and mom gave me things to do. But it's like, and there was times when I was disobedient, when I got in trouble. And I didn't understand, like, that's a, such a stupid rule. Come on, dad, mom, why do you have that rule? But there was a reason for the rules they had. And all they wanted me to do was be obedient. A lot of those rules were actually saving me from bad choices that could hurt me. I just had to be obedient, that's all. And now as a father, I try to do the same thing with my boys. It's like, like sons, here's some rules. Here's the, here's the things I want you to do. Just just obey. And a lot of times they're like, I don't get that. It's a stupid rule. I don't, you know, I don't, I don't get it. You don't have to understand it. I don't always understand everything, but I know I'm supposed to be obedient to it. And I know that when I obeyed my father, my father was honored. And I respect my father. And I wanted to honor him and be obedient. And in the same way now as a dad, I now have sons and all I sit there and say is, I just want you to honor me. Respect me. These are the rules. All you got to do is obey them. And when you do, it honors me. I get it now about my heavenly father because he gave us his word and planted in here to save our souls. And he just says, I know you hear me. Now will you follow me and do what I said? And when you do, you honor me. You see, when we obey God's word, not just us, but we obey God's word, we honor him. And we have a proud heavenly father that looks down upon us and says, that's my kid. And even when we mess up, he still says, that's my kid. But there's something about different when we truly obey him. We're about ready to sing a song. Would you stand, please? We're about ready to sing a song that I didn't think about this until after we sung it earlier. And it's like, you know what? This is a good Father's Day song. Because on Father's Day, a lot of times, dads, we get the cards, hey, thanks, dad, love you. And we, you know, we get the thanks for being a good dad, you know. God is our heavenly father. So this song is really a good opportunity for you just to thank your Heavenly Father and to sing to Him. Let's just keep that in mind as we sing. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, what an amazing God you are. Lord, I thank you for James. Boy, he just really goes at it, tells it like it is. But God, I know that James was once a doubter. He didn't believe in his brother. He didn't, he didn't think Jesus was truly your son. But then his life went from doubt to doing. Sold out, all in, fully committed to, to worshiping you. And he knew his brother Jesus Christ was the son of God. And now James, is, he's got it. And he just wants us to get it. And so he's pretty strong in waking us up with truth. But I'm thankful for that. God, I guess I'd, I'd rather have my toes stepped on than to miss an opportunity to be in your presence in eternity. God, I thank you for this word. 
God, help us not to just be listeners, but help us to be doers of your words, Lord. God, we want to sing to you. We just want to tell you how much we love you. We're so thankful for all you've given us. God, hear our song to you. May you be blessed. May you be honored. In our name we pray. Amen.